Hear that? Believe it or not, summer is just around the corner. Luckily, Armorall, America's most trusted auto appearance brand, has what your car needs to get that perfect summer shine. Plus, now through May 31st, we'll give you $5 for every 20 you spend on Armorall products. That means car wash pods, protectant, tire shine, you name it. Find out how to get your $5 rebate at armorall.com. Armorall, less work, more clean. Terms apply. The Athletic. It's actually happened. Mark Marquez is leaving the Repsol Honda MotoGP team for a Grassini Ducati, a year-old spec satellite bike. The move that we've been talking about for weeks and been getting very excited about, but always with a nagging feeling of, it's not really going to happen, is it? It is happening. It's happening in 2024. This is the Race MotoGP podcast. I'm Matt Beer. With me are Simon Patterson and Valentin Harunchi for an extra episode to cover off the biggest MotoGP news since Valentino Rossi's retirement. And to be honest, Rossi's retirement we saw coming quite a way off. Marquez leaping to a Grassini Ducati. Well, that's been quite a big talking point for three weeks now, but until the moment that rumour first started, it was completely insane idea that no one would have floated i'm sure so simon and val when that honda release landed on wednesday lunchtime what was your what's your first reaction and, and what did it interrupt you doing simon you can start so um i had got up on in the morning um had actually written a little bit about uh who was likely to replace Marquez at Honda, if uh, if everything came together and, and he did make the move, which which we should I think be going up on the site today Thursday, um, yeah. so I'd get up and done that. My wife was still in bed. Uh, I had made her a couple of slices of toast. She was lying in bed with the dog. I went and get in beside them, and let's just say the poor dog is now still traumatized after the noises I made whenever that email landed. <laughs> um, it's one of those things people keep saying to me on social media, how can you be shocked? You knew it was coming or we expected it was coming, but you you can know something's coming and you can still be absolutely blown away by the surprise of it. And that is exactly what happened. Um, you know, I've been like flirting from like 75% sure it isn't happening to 75% sure it is happening with that tipping a bit towards the it is happening column lately. Uh, but it was still, it's still one of those emails you never expect to see landed in your inbox whenever it does. But here we are talking about Mark Marquez, not a Ducati rider in, in 2024, not a Honda rider. Sorry. Yeah. If, if you'd asked me to, to bet coming out of Motegi on what's coming and when it's coming, I, I, I would say this week, Marquez leaving Honda. You can, you can hear that in the previous podcast. I think I sort of anticipate it with dread uh, yeah i mean we finished recording the last episode going please don't announce it while johnny's editing yeah, his podcast yeah, yeah. and thankfully they held off yeah, a couple yeah, of days yeah. which is very nice very if, if it had been monday we would have been in a in a bit of trouble um but yeah all that said i'm also like terminally online so ideally <laughs> i would always just be there and notice it and be able to hop on it no notice and, and come in uh well, except this time, I was in a grocery store with my wife. I don't remember in what aisle we were. We were l- looking for something, and I look at my phone, and I see, actually, I'd missed the press release, and I see Simon's email with the story file that says official Marcus to Marcus to, to leave Honda, and I let out some sort of, obviously, English expletive or something like that, and 
it, my wife was like, it's your day off. Stop it. I like it. Day off's over. No more day off. <laughs> this, uh, this, you know, this has to happen. She's like, okay, and, you know, leave the groceries to me. Let's, you know, just run, just go. But no, we, we did it as normal. I, I helped her bring all this stuff back home, <laughs> immediately sat down as I was, uh, unpacking hit my head against the chair basically because <laughs> i was rushing so much to, to get to work on marquez stuff so yeah even in even with a very anticipated announcement even if it doesn't if, if it doesn't quite catch you the right way as it yeah. did for me it can be it can be a whole adventure i mean it shades of shades of valentino rossi's retirement being announced where we we had ran the story that morning saying that it was going to happen that afternoon but everything still went into panic overdrive whenever the you know the the news of an exceptional press conference was announced so yeah it's just how these stories are it's great fun as well it's it's kind of what we live for now speaking of that actually it's I realized when this was unfolding and when Simon you put together your timeline of uh, the kind of Honda Marquez relationship demise when we formed the race at the start of 2020, Marquez was absolutely on top of the world at that point with Honda. Okay, there have been a few years where the Honda was getting more difficult to ride, his teammates were struggling, but Marquez was still dominating MotoGP like nobody had since Rossi's absolute heyday. So we did this. We, we, well, it, possibly. <laughs> it's more. It's more that weirdly, you know, we're, we're four years into the race existing now, and we've actually. It, it seems bizarre that we've not actually covered a period of Marquez Honda strength. In fact, it's been not just like weakness; it's been the absolute opposite of strength. It's been incessant disasters. And one of the first things we asked you to put together for the site was a kind of timeline of everything that's gone wrong to get from that point of so many world championships, nothing standing in their way to this, to leaving mid-contract for a satellite year-old bike somewhere else, several teams down the pecking order, another manufacturer. And you caught me out with what you started with because I was thinking, Harass 2020 arm break, but you actually went right back to the Sile test at the start of 2020 as like the first seed being sown of what's now happened. Yeah, I mean, um, we we it's easy to forget because that season in the end started so well for you know half a race and then ended in disaster. But there was a a really long period all through that winter testing program whenever Marquez really looked to be struggling. Um, I I don't remember his comments from Valencia 2019 because that's the only MotoGP test I've ever worked at not being a journalist um but you know i remember going to qatar or going to malaysia sorry at the start of 2020 and it was obvious something wasn't right with the bike they weren't fast they were struggling um they were trying different things nothing was really working they were throwing aerodynamic upgrades at the bike that that at the time looked quite sort of aprilia-esque but you know, they, they were complaining about these issues. And in the background, all the way through this, Cal Crutchlow was just this like undertone of they need to scrap the new arrow and go back to the old stuff. They need to scrap the new arrow and go back to the old stuff, as he, you know, occasionally is in these in these circumstances. And I think Honda kind of ignored him until the last night of testing and then finally conceded he was right, put Marquez out in the, on the new test in, on the new, on the old arrow. And uh, he went from being outside the top 10 to being like P1 or P2. Uh, with a with a little bit of time left in the test, and that was really the first red flag that Honda really weren't understanding how aerodynamics was going to work in MotoGP, um, and and really since then, you know, the fairings, the the wings that they reverted to at that test, the twenty nineteen sort of shape, 
is essentially what they've been using until the start of the season, until the the new Arrow upgrades came the middle of the way through this season. It's it's that old school, um, quite small design, and you know. Yeah. The writing was on the wall, looking back with hindsight, the writing was on the wall at that point that this was not a game that they were willing or able to play. And it's taken four years, but four years later, we're, we're seeing the, the repercussions of that. There's two there's two elements to this that have kind of unfolded in parallel. We'll do the Honda side first, because also Marquez himself has been hard to judge over the, over these few years. But from the Honda side... It's only really recently that I felt you could take seriously how frustrated Marquez was with the bike. Part of that, I think, was because there was always that element of, is he actually fully fit yet? What are we, what is his, is his problem that his, his body isn't functioning? Is it is his problem that the bike isn't, isn't functioning? Every time we've made a predict, done a predictions article, one of us, probably me, has predicted Marquez will still be champion regardless of what state he's gone into that season in. But this year really felt like things were changing quite dramatically. The frustration was now fully on the bike. Marquez felt he was sorted and the bike was, if anything, getting worse. And I th- would you say it was like Saxon ring this year was maybe a final tipping point? Or was there, was there not a kind of, yeah, I've got to get out of here moment? No, it, it was Saxon ring. It was whenever he went to the, the German Grand Prix, the race where he's never been beaten and spent all weekend smashing himself into progressively smaller pieces uh right up to that high side in in qualifying that or in warm-up sorry that that just left him you know completely unwilling to get in the bike and even try racing um we i think the start of this season is the first time we've seen mark marquez fully fit probably man it's hard to put a pin on on when exactly he was last fully fit because our bike racers ever fully fit <laughs> well because that winter that winter of 2019 2020 he just had another massive shoulder reconstruction operation yeah. and another one on the other shoulder the season before the winter yeah. before so you know arguably this season this year is the first time we've seen the guy fully fit since like 2017 wow yeah I, you know yeah like it's that long and, and yet he's come in and he's jumped on a bike that hasn't been good enough and you know, obviously, you're never going to be able to measure his physical abilities and mental abilities now versus at any other point in his career because it's it's impossible to do. But you know, you've got to think that with all the time that he's had, all the work that he's had, all this, you know, how specific his training program has been, um, and, and the fact that he hasn't actually had a massive injury in terms of sort of major bone broken or complicated joint fracture or anything like that since 2020 um you know once the arm was fixed um you you got to think he's in good shape now which which means the fact that he can't ride the bike or override the bike uh is even more stark because, because he was already in in, in goodish shape at the end of last year i'd say you know at, at moments in 2021 and 2022 you could already sort of the results he was showing then were already much better than the average that he's producing this year. I mean, obviously, this year has also seen its own share of high points, including the the recent romantic podium. But it's it's clear that you know he's whether he's fully fit or not, whether he's at the same physical level as you know Mark Marquez of twenty nineteen. I think his assertion, I think, is that he is, but it doesn't really matter. I think what, for me, what's important is there's no reason not to think he's fitter than he was a year before but a year before the results were better so the common denominator there's that the you know the bike's gotten outdeveloped 
and you know he's riding it too hard to try to make up for for that lost ground and keeps crashing it all the time so it is it is not so much a question of fitness for me and we, we will find out a lot obviously when he gets onto the Ducati uh, just just how much Mark Marquez has changed in terms of his ability on the bike um since 2019 but again like even in his post injury state we've already seen plenty of evidence of Marquez magic and this year we've seen the sustained period where he just he can't do it this is just not because he can't do it but because the bike isn't there because still the other Hondas are being pretty roundly defeated it's not like there has been an emergence of another teammate at Honda I think the only question mark for me is it would have been really interesting to see Alex Rins with more yeah. of a run of races on the Honda. So that would be a very interesting comparison point. Unfortunately, obviously Alex Rins suffered the injury at Mugello, still isn't really fully fit, and we won't we just won't get that comparison point because the rest of a season will basically be getting himself right. Which that is a big shame because I think he it, it did look like he was figuring something out, but again, that's you know, that's Nothing you can do about that. He got hurt. And something you can do about that is make a bike that people crash less. But I was going to say, we might be in a weird situation where Alex Rins ends up being Honda's only winner in several MotoGP seasons. And he was on the bike for about five races before, before breaking his leg badly and then getting a new job. And then hopefully my recommendation for Alex Rins would be to trundle through the rest of this season, keeping yourself intact because your future's sorted. Just don't stress about it. I don't think he's wired that way, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're talking about, you know, we've talked about all of this in the context of Mark Marquez basically until now, but, you know, the the possibly the biggest mark of how bad the bike is, um, out of the, the, the 15 each potential race starts that Juan Mir and, and Alex Rins has had this season, between the two of them, they finished six races on Sunday. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, like that's you know, this is yeah. not a Mark Marquez specific problem. This is just a disaster across the board for Honda. Yeah. Both both Mark Marquez and Jean Mir have spent prolonged periods of time unfit, not as long as Alex Rins, but you know unfit, and they still very comfortably lead MotoGP's crash standings. Marquez on twenty, Mir on eighteen. Nobody else has more than fifteen, I think. I mean, it just tells you what you need what you need to know. I mean, some of those crashes are obviously worse. Some of them are relatively minor. I think we, we've all lost count at how many minor front end tip offs we've seen from Joan Mir this season. Just feels like again, feels like when a crash graphic comes up, you're you're bracing yourself for that thirty six. But I think that's you know that that is obviously part of it too. The the the, the crash situation is the, the Ducatis just don't get crashed as much. No bike gets crashed as much in the MotoGP as as the Honda and Marquez will feel he's you know he's crashed enough for several seasons this past season especially given what he's what he's coming off of in 2020. You've got to think there's a little bit of glee in his face whenever Danny Pedrosa looks at the 2023 MotoGP rankings and he scored almost double the amount of points that Juan Mir has. (laughs) Yeah that is that is insane isn't it? That's just two weekends from Pedrosa as well, isn't yeah. it, as a KTM World yeah. Cup. That's amazing. With Marquez's performances, it felt like we had a phase where he went into a making a point mode. And the point he was making was, I can either 
crash five times a weekend if I push this bike, or I can run around at about 13th place. I've yeah. never seen Mark Marcus looking like he wasn't trying before, but he was trying a different way. He was trying to send a message. I would say the last few weekends, he's almost been a bit more back to normal. He's not been as shunty. He's been more on the pace. Okay, the Mategi podium was, was assisted by the weather, but it felt like he'd done his phase of going, right, I can be slower, I can crash. This is this is your problem. Yeah, it's it's I, I, for me, it's hard to tell whether it's necessarily a message or, you know, self-protection mode kicking in and understanding that True. he can't lose more seasons and more periods of time, especially if he's going onto another bike next year, which I'm, I'm sure that by that point, that was already firmly on his mind that he can figure out some other some other option to go somewhere, and he, he might have to split with Honda at the end of the year. Uh, I don't. It, it's hard to. I, we we still see glimpses of. I, I wouldn't call it self protection mode, but it's just you know him accepting the natural order of things. You know the Mategi podium. Honestly, he probably potentially could have won that race if the weather just played out a little bit differently and it, it was longer and he really clearly pushed and risked there because something massive was on the table but in the Mategi sprint qualified high up but nothing's going and you, you could see him go backwards and backwards and backwards in the race uh, he did post the top 10 he did score points but if, it, if that was a longer race run in normal conditions there's a good chance that he just you know trundles home ninth or 10th and that's and to not do that he would have had to crash and that's that's sort of that doesn't necessarily for me need to be read as a as a message as just as a okay this is what i can do without ending up in the gravel and potentially breaking another finger we've we've talked about the saxon rim being the point at which things became really obvious now the other one for me that was massively interesting it's not it's quite an obvious choice misano the weekend that started with marquez being an uh, incessant social media tease about what was this phrase things are happening was that the one things are happening yeah Th- yeah. yeah and then a weekend of sort of backwards and forwards of like little bits of media flirting, us all kind of guessing some some excellent scooping as it turned out by the journalist who broke the story of the Grassini move being the one that was on the table. And then the Monday, so this is the week we decided we'd record the podcast for Misano after the test on Monday because we all just felt it might be more important than the race. And Marcus tries the latest 2024 stuff from Honda at that test and comes to see you all in the media at lunchtime, not even waiting for the end of the day, Simon, basically having changed his mood completely. Do you think, how pivotal do you think that test was? Because was there really any hope by that stage that he still would stay? Or how much was his decision actually based on trying the 2024 bike and going, it's not happening, is it? I've just got to get out of here. I I don't think that it, riding the 24 bike is what made up his mind but i think it was the final nail in the coffin i think that was the moment when he sort of yeah was like well nothing's going to change here what's the point waste more of my time this is more of the same um it, it is it was quite stark the mood shift that weekend from jokingly oh well i won't die to well this is a piece of shit that you know that that there was a real transformation in that debrief there was none of the none of the frivolity none of the joking it was just foul temper. Um, it was worse than the Valencia 2022 debrief where he announced that with his bike, we can't win the championship. You know, that, that's, that's the level of tense in that debrief. Um, yeah, I think it, 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 Honda could have saved it that day if they brought something that was genuinely different. And if he'd walked into the garage on Monday morning and there was a lot of, of new 
faces, European faces wearing HRC team uniforms there to, you know, promise them that they were going to make the bike better and do cool stuff and actually have wings that, you know, are fit for purpose. And he got there and it was all the same people. It was the same bike, essentially. Um, you know, they, they, they seem to have, from the comments that he's made and Juan Mir have made since, they, they made a bike that's different but the same in the end. Um, it, it it acts slightly differently, but it delivers the same results and the same performance at the end of the day. It's weak in the same areas. Uh, and the fact that there was no new engine, you know, that more than anything else was the fundamental failing for me. Um, everyone expected we'd see a complete 2024 bike because everyone knew that that was the test where they had to fight to keep Mark Marquez. And they brought him a new chassis and a couple of bits of arrow for the seat unit that weren't enough to convince anyone that they were taking this seriously. I, you know, if you had even the crudest of prototypes of 2024 engine, you'd have brought it just to have had something different to show him. Um, just to show that you were working, even if it wasn't in the right direction or whatever. And Honda just did the Honda thing of saying, this is what you will have to ride, you know, go out and ride it. Yes, but I, I can't imagine it was like the thing that decided it or the, the thing that changed everything. But it was, for me, it would have been, I suspect, a situation where, yeah, he, he, would, have, he would have been feeling inside, like, just give me a reason to stay, please. I'll do it. Just, just give me, give me a good reason because this, this other thing is very tempting, and you know it. It was the extra shove, and there have been other shoves, and across all those shoves, at some point you just go, okay, I got to do this, and this, you know, and it's it's a good option. The the Katsu bike's a really good option, so it's really not difficult to see how he came to that conclusion, even sort of as emotional as this decision will have been, and as, as we know it has been. It's just it's it's really easy to see how we've arrived where we've arrived, and I I doubt it's one moment. Uh, I've seen Spanish media reporting that despite everything, it it, it really did come come down to the final few days and a, a, a last ditch attempt to basically get Honda to bring him something that would change his mind. I don't really see why because this is a decision for twenty twenty four. There's nothing they can do in a week or two weeks that'll change 2024. If what you've seen in Mizano test, and it, for me, it, it does feel like after the Mizano test, Mark really just started speaking as as if their paths were going separate ways. He was, yeah, he was talking about the 2024 chassis that he just wouldn't bother with ever again. The prototype, I mean, of course, not the not the finished thing, but the prototype. He was talking about how now is just it was about finding the best for the project which is <laughs> which is what you say when you know which is what you say when you're figuring out a, an amicable separation isn't it and that's 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 how i read it the entire time and i'm quite glad that's how it worked out because if it if it then turned out that he was staying then i would have had to seriously reconsider how how i view certain words in the vocabulary <laughs> uh, yeah it's it was just, it was clearly very gradual but i think I imagine that was the point of no return, but not like the, the game changer, but just, okay, well, this is it. I mean, I, I, the thing that comes across from this for me is that it doesn't feel like Mark Marquez has left Honda. It feels like Honda have lost Mark Marquez. Um, he's wanted to stay. It's felt like he's kind of 
fought for his place within the team that he, you know, he, he hasn't made this decision lightly. He hasn't been sort of frivolous and deciding to dance off to pastures new. He's tried to tough it out. He's tried to find a way forward that keeps him with the team that he's been with his entire career. And they've just not given him what he needed. They've just not delivered on the most basic of things that he's been asking for. And, you know, I think I think he's he'll probably be feeling right now like he's been left with no other choice but to leave rather than that, you know, he's just got a better offer and, and jumped across to, to try that. It, it's it's much more complicated and, and much more layered than that, I think. That's a good point, actually. What, what's your take on how the personal relationships are at the moment at Honda? Obviously, Marcus has got his own crew around him and I, I assume they've continued being as close as ever. But what is the atmosphere actually like between Marquez and, and Honda bosses now? So obviously the, the Marquez crew are, are probably the most tight knit in the paddock, um, which, you know, whenever you listen to some people is, is a detriment as much as it's a strength because it creates a bit of a, an us and them attitude inside that garage that doesn't make it a very easy place to work. But I think, uh, you know, they have a Spanish team boss in Alberto Pug who is very much part of the Marquez camp and, and, you know, works for Mark Marquez above everyone else. Um, that, that seems to be pretty apparent looking from the outside in, but then above that, it seems like there's a complete disconnect really between Japan and, and the European leg of things. You know, you see, uh, we've seen multiple people getting quite ruthlessly chopped out of the program because Mark Marquez has said that they needed to go. Um, the problem is that Honda have never replaced them with anyone, you know, with any fresh blood. They've just promoted the guy below them whenever they've sacked, you know, whoever it is and, and moved them on. Um, but I, it doesn't seem like there's a particularly healthy relationship between the, the Japanese and the European leg of things. Um, you know, Marquez has been fairly ruthless with the, some of his comments about, uh, you know, what is being said and what's going on in meetings between the two sides. Yeah. Um, it's it's yeah. It doesn't feel like a particularly happy camp. I'm gonna I'm going to offer a a defense of Honda, not in the sense that Marquez is wrong to leave Honda, but in the sense that even though Honda has failed him from a competitive standpoint, Honda has done right by him. I think in a, in, in, a, in a different sense, uh, he's being allowed to leave, and yeah, this they have worked it out. They did not have to. They did not have to allow him to leave. Um, you know, they Marquez has been under a four-year uh, mega contract for which Honda, well, let's be honest here, got basically nothing in return. And that's not that's not anybody's fault. It's not Mark's fault directly. He's obviously he's pushed as hard as he's ever pushed. He's been as fast as he's ever been. Uh, well, maybe not ever, but he's he's been fast and he's pushed and he's tried and he's hurt himself and he's put his body on the line. But ultimately, Honda's committed to that four-year deal, expecting presumably four championships, and he got nothing. And it is a lot of money for that nothing. Uh, I mean, they're going to chop off the fourth year now, so a bit of savings, but still is a hugely lucrative contract that just hasn't worked out for Honda at all in terms of the return. And there's no no bitterness, clearly, no attempt to, to hold him to it, no huge, even massive attempt to you know save face or whatever. Just, he wants out. There you go. I think I think that's quite commendable, to be honest. I think that's also a, a decent understanding of, of of what their priorities are. That an extra year of Marquez on a bike that's not ready to win doesn't really do anything for anybody. 
So even if even if it maybe is embarrassing to publicly acknowledge that our man no longer wants to be with us, uh, the fact that they they have acknowledged it and they have allowed it to happen, that to me that is pretty impressive. But it maybe it's just it's just how some of those manufacturers I think do things. Before we move on to talk about how Marquez will actually get on the Ducati, which is in the end the most fascinating part of all this, let's take a quick chat about uh, the state of Honda post Marquez. Now, we we can assume that Johan Zarco ends up at Repsol Honda rather than LCR Honda. Now there's a gap, so it's him and Joanne Mir trying to lead this forward. Uh, Takanakagami is secure for one more year yet again at LCR, despite having had a really underwhelming slash rough few years. Um, Fabio Di Giantonio, the man who uh, Marquez is being is ousting at Grassini, uh, which when we, we knew he was probably out of that ride, we have all sorts of people linked to that ride. It's ended up being Marquez. Um, he's now put himself forward for the LCR ride. Uh, Ike Lecuona, Lecuona was linked to that for a long time as well and has kind of been auditioning for it. So you can see where Honda's potentially going for its lineup. My, my question here is, what does Honda have to fix mainly? We've talked, we've, we've raised aero and engine, which is most of the bike already. Is that the lineup to fix it, and how long is it going to take? It's a good lineup. Uh, I mean, we should say we haven't seen Jan Zarco confirmed or anywhere near confirmed yet. So for all we know, Honda might be making some insane mega money play. There have been some pretty funny rumors circulating already of like a, a move for Maverick Vinales, which... No, don't do that. Don't do that. Imagine. That's that's all I'm going to say. Imagine, and let's uh, yeah, let, let's stop it there. There have been suggestions which make a lot of sense to me that while P- KTM is dawdling over the exact makeup of Pedro Costa's future, Honda should try to swoop and do something. I think in in a normal MotoGP world that would work, but with the current state of the two respective bikes, probably not. Uh, but what, what it is a good lineup if if that's if that's how it shakes out in the end. Uh, Joan Mir, Johan Zarco, it's. It's maybe isn't like what you'd say, like, oh, an elite Repsol Honda lineup. This is exactly what I expect. Those two guys have one MotoGP win between them. But for what Honda is right now, it is a better lineup than what their bike is. So that's pretty good. Um, two riders who have a, a track record of success of being in programs that have improved quite substantially while they were there. I mean, how much of that was specifically due to them? It's always hard to say, but it's you know it is something. Uh, two riders with you know good good character riders. Obviously, we we gush about how eloquent and intelligent Juan Mir is, and Jan Zarco very much in the in the same category, having been steadied by his uh, years of life. I don't want to call him old, but yeah, he's by MotoGP standards, he is basically the old man of MotoGP now. Um, I, I like it. I, it's a good lineup. I, ideally, ideally, Mark Marquez makes this decision a few months ago. Alex Rins never leaves to ride a factory Yamaha because Honda then immediately goes, okay, to Repsol you go. Because that's that was basically Alex Rins' whole idea, I think, is to, to get a Repsol seat the second a Repsol seat became available. But before it became available, Yamaha swooped in. Good job, Yamaha. Um, I, I, I want to see what happens with LCR because I just... I, I say this a lot, but I feel really sorry for Lucio Cecinello because he's 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 got such good riders now. Two years in a row, he got Alex Rins, who immediately won a race for him, but then spent the whole year basically broken. Now he's effectively landed Johan Zarco, and now Honda's going to have to take him from him and offer him somebody who's not Johan Zarco. Basically, he's going to have to offer him either 
Iker Lequona or Fabio Di Gian Antonio. I like those those guys, both of those guys, plenty, but they are not Johan Zarco. And, you know, LCR is not, not going to have the lineup it expected. Uh, for me, for Honda, the, the big thing is just start really sort of formulating like your your youth program basically start looking for your next marquez in in moto 2 or whatever that's that's what i would do and start start really having an idea of who is going to be overseeing the rise of this bike who is going to be your andrea dovicioso your alicia spargaro john mir could be that guy i mean he's he's had a rough 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 season but we've seen serious good signs of life in the in the last couple of weekends and I guess maybe now that that whole for me now that that whole Marcus gravitational pull is is leaving, I think it could be really good. But I I think the thing that we've been always talking about myself and Simon is, and it's it's an idea that's easier on paper than it is in practice almost certainly. But just just make Honda into Suzuki, <laughs> into what Suzuki was. I mean they've lost Alex Rins without you know without Alex Rins leaving it would have been. Like just a total one to one. A Kent Kawauchi led team with Mir and and, and Rins. And Brivio. And Brivio, yeah, sure. And just just grab everybody. Grab the old press officers. <laughs> grab Sylvain Guintoli or whatever to test ride it. Uh, but yeah, that's you know, it's a th- there's good ingredients there. So you know, it, it it won't be the exact same, but you at least there is at least a track record of success with those with those bits. I actually think that. You know, a, a Zarko Mir lineup for next season for Repsol Honda would be perfect, close to perfect. Um, Mir is young, he's talented, he's fast, he's intelligent, he is a good lead rider for this project. Um, and you know, I I don't see any fault at all in letting him take a steer on the direction of the bike going forwards and and kind of scrapping that Mark Marquez era. You know. Mark's going to develop the bike his way approach. Um, do it a little bit differently. Let someone else lead the project the way that they kind of let Takanakagami lead a little bit during 2020. You know, give me that opportunity now. But then on the other side of the garage, why would you try to poach uh, a, a big name from another team for a lot of money whenever you know that the only reason they'd be doing it is for money? Whenever you've got Johan Zarko, who actually sounds you know, whenever he came in the podcast, sounds genuinely committed to trying to make the Honda better. He's at that that Alish stage of his career where he wants to try and, you know, leave a bit of a legacy. And turning the Honda back into a winning bike, even if he's not the guy that's winning on it, would be something that he would be remembered for. Um, we know that he's a good development rider. We know that he's good at testing stuff. He's been doing loads of it at Ducati. Um, so, so why not, you know, go all in on that lineup because there's there's loads and loads of potential in it i think that that is arguably that is a much better lineup than honda has had at any point since like marquez and pedroza in terms of having the the right tools to fix the bike rather than just try and win on it and are either of you two brave enough to suggest a time scale for when honda is going to be a regular moto gp winner again no well, you, st- you stick hand up very quickly for a guy who's going to say no straight away, Val. So you've kind of committed now. Well, yeah, but it's like, look, we've seen we've seen a, a, a MotoGP where Aprilia has become what it is right now. Yeah, true. So so has KTM, but KTM has done it by pumping in insane amounts of resource, and Aprilia has done it by 
ingenuity and bike bike brittleness uh it's like it's it's hard to tell um it might you'd like to imagine it certainly it happens before the next regulation cycle but it's a, a couple of years maybe i i mean for me the the law of diminishing returns means that it might be 2027 because as we get closer to a major regulation change, there's less and less motivation to keep working on the bike that you've already got. So, you know, if we get to the start of the 25 season and the bike's still not great, and you know that you only have one more season of the 26 bike, you go all in on the 27 bike, knowing that it might have a different capacity engine or it might be, you know, things might look really radically different for that season. So the, the closer we get to that point the less they're going to invest in the bike that they've got right now. But I have no doubt in my mind at all that if we do have a major regulation change for 27, then Honda is going to come out with a competitive bike the minute that that change happens. Because what, you know, listen to what we've been saying for like literally years now, that the problem with this bike is that it's gone in the wrong direction for too long, that the solution is to put it into the metal chipper and create an RC214V. And that's not happened, but that is going to happen in 27. And and I don't think that Honda, you know, I think they've let the development of the bike get away from them, but I don't think that they've forgotten how to build a good bike. So whenever it comes to starting from scratch again, um, th there's potential there. And the good thing for the team, um, the good thing for the project, if they are genuinely thinking ahead and thinking longer term, is that there's no reason at all why... Uh, you know, Juan Mir can't be fighting for a Repsol Honda title in 2027 because he's young enough. There, there's, you know, there's so much opportunity there to build a bike around that guy and maybe another youngster on the other side of the garage once Zarco steps down in two years. There, there is potential there with the, the, the team and the right lineup and the time scale that they've got. Or Mark could return. Or Mark I mean, could the return. Contract, the contracts line up and he, yeah, he'd still be, he's still yeah. 34 at that point. Go for it. Yeah. I mean, w there there would be no better there would be no better way to draw a line under the "I am the greatest of all time" stats than uh, to win win a championship next year in a Ducati, go to KTM for two years, and then go back and do it all over again at Honda. And it means that you get to end your career as a Honda ambassador for life, like we always thought he would, anyway. And just that's a brilliant set of storylines to keep website traffic and podcast listener figures oh, yeah. high for like five years. So yes, please, Mark, we'll, we'll take a bit of that. So let's talk about the actual future now, Marquez on a Ducati. And the thing that kind of occurred to me in the middle of the night last night, like a kind of lightning bolt, was hang on, hang on. Why are we in a world where Mark Marquez, MotoGP legend, is riding a Grassini Ducati old spec next year? Well, Franco Morbidelli, you know, MotoGP runner-up once, winner of some races, but consistent failure at Yamaha for a couple of years is going on to a Pramac Ducati that is top spec and is currently fighting for the world championship with Jorge Martin. So a few different things have come together for this to be the case. But yeah, why is Marquez not on a better Ducati now now that this is happening? I mean, the, the plain and simple reason seems to be that it's because this is the bike that Marquez wanted to be on. That this is a Marquez decision, not in anyone else's decision. Um, from from what some friends in the Italian media who are well connected have have told me, uh, Ducati offered him a deal to go to Pramac. 
But it was going to be a factory Ducati contract, the same as all the Primark riders. It was going to be for two seasons. It was going to take him out of contract cycle with everyone else. And it was potentially going to put him on a factory bike for 2025. And he doesn't want to be tied down for two years. He wants a one-year deal. He wants to see what happens. He wants to see how the Ducati is. He knows that right now he's going to ride a crap bike for very little money, relatively. Um, but he also knows that in, in 12 months' time, he's going to be the hottest property in MotoGP. I mean, it's not even going to take 12 months. We're going to hear Mark Marquez 2025 contract rumors as soon as the first race of next season is done. Before that. Before surely. that. Well, in well we, in the we, we need to see how he goes yeah. in testing. If he, if, yeah. he, if he goes to Valencia and he jumps on that bike for the first time and he finishes top three, the silly season starts there and then for the next, yeah. you know, for 2025. That is going to be, and it's going to be a proper dogfight for him because everyone's interested and everyone's going to try and get a hold of him, including maybe even Honda if the bike gets mm -hmm. better because yeah. that, that's going to be the madness of this. Um, and, and he... He knows that. He knows his worth. He's willing to take a, a massive pay cut for one year and, um, you know, do whatever it can to get back to winning ways. But if he can do that and then know that the year after he can get back to winning ways while still being paid really, really well, then, you know, he's obviously going to leave his options open. Ultimately, a, a two-year Ducati deal is is pretty great. But given what Marquez is having to to give up, presumably, to, to get out of the Hunter contract. It might be financially irresponsible to accept that two-year Ducati deal when it's an offer Ducati will have been making without without competition, without the yeah. the free agency open market testing of it. And we know that you know since Jorge Lorenzo, Ducati isn't exactly over the moon offering massive contracts and they're always you know massively bonus laden and this and that. So I this is presumably why he's not on a factory spec bike is because like even if Ducati will have accommodated that the the financial terms of the lack of testing yourself out in free agency is what you know is what cuts that out uh but also like it doesn't matter this is this is a nuanced argument i guess but factory spec not factory spec whatever absolutely there are differences of course we've we've seen in some of the recent weeks, for example, the difference between the factory spec Ducatis getting the new Ducati launch device and Marco Bezzecchi not getting the new Ducati launch device, it is a it is a substantial difference that can full-on condition full races. But at the same time, we've seen Marco Bezzecchi use a year-old Ducati to win in India by eight seconds. It, it's... It's it's a bike. It's a good bike to have. Sometimes, you know, you can make the argument that there's a very chance that at the start of the season, it will be the better bike to have. So it doesn't it doesn't make that big of a difference. I know like Grishini is not, I guess, the sexiest option. And there is probably some sort of a, a, a mental mismatch in Grishini and, and Mar Marquez. But yeah, that bike won with an A Bastianini four times. So, well, yeah, Grassini was the outside title contender last yeah, year. It's yeah. a team with a really fun history and some great achievements along the way. So, you know, it, it's it's whenever we mention that, it's not to ever do Grassini down because I don't think we ever should or to do the yeah. year old Ducati down. It's more the optics of, you know, that team at the start of the this, this, this year certainly was you'd put Pramac and VR46 ahead in terms of the Ducati pecking order, which makes Grassini automatically yeah. last of those four teams in terms of manufacturer priority. And yet that is where. Marquez is going. 
Now, Cal Crutchlow last week suggested that you don't want Marquez to get on any Ducati because he's going to win every single race. Bit of bit of Cal about that, Cal, yeah. But bit of a point to it as well. So, sort of, yeah. I mean, it's 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 one of those classic Cal things. Like when when Red Bull Ring was still Ducati land, I remember one of his sessions. He said all the Ducati riders who aren't like locking out the top seven with the factory bikes on the Red Bull Ring should just should be shown the door immediately. I, Cal has a bit of that in, but he's also, you know, he's clearly a huge admirer of Marquez, but also has seen his data and knows the, knows the caliber of rider we're dealing with here. Uh, I don't think it's going to be like 10, 15 second walkovers or anything, but it'll be in the mix. We know that he'll be up front and there's, we have to see how he goes in testing. We have to see how he gels in the bike, but I have zero reason to think that he will not be an immediate championship contender and you know fighting at least top five basically every race and we've we've already seen the situation where even if mark somehow isn't like the outright fastest on single lap or whatever i'd still expect for instance jorge martin to take more pole positions than mark next season maybe but Mark, at his best, is absolutely relentless at bringing home the points. You'll remember, you know, the, the beginning of the 2019 season, right, when they went to Qatar and Andrea Delicioso just narrowly squeaked out past Mark for that season opening win. And you see it in the Dovi documentary about that season where they show him after Qatar and he's, he's, he's basically he's just won. But you can tell that the, the feeling is, oh, I'm screwed for the season. This is not a mark track at all, and he he ran me all the way to the victory. We're in serious trouble here, which is exactly how it how it panned out. And I think there's every possibility that a lot of rounds in 2024 20, will be flashes of that. So yeah, I've that's that's right. I'm I'm bullish, obviously, very bullish on on what this combination is going to look like. I mean the 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 Part of the attraction of both Mark Marquez and Valentino Rossi in the past has been that even when they were winning titles, dominating titles, they were still making it interesting. And I'd argue that, like the the you know, twenty nineteen is potentially the most dominant MotoGP season we've ever seen, but the racing was better than what we've got right now. Yeah, and that's partly because you know exactly like you said, Val, Mark Marquez is able to fight for the win even if he can't win at pretty much every track, which means that the tracks where other people are really, really strong makes good races because there's someone else in the mix with them. And, and it's interesting, you know, we're, we're seeing like Paco Bagnaia running away with victories at say the red bow ring right now, because there's no one else on that level really. But if you put a, a slightly worse Mark Marquez into that mix, you've got a recipe for a fantastic race. And we're, I think we're, we're going to see more and more of that next year. This is going to make, the championship more competitive. It's going to make the championship more interesting. It's going to make the racing better. Um, you know, whether you love Mark Marquez or hate him, this is really, really good for the on-track action. Yeah. The flip side is, I suspect it might be rough news for Cota, Saxon Ring, Aragon, oh, yeah. which is best on them, back on the calendar. But yeah, the, yeah, there's places where he's going to utterly dominate, like Cota yeah. with that bike on that straight. Oh, yeah. He's going to win by minutes. Yeah. <laughs> we'd, we'd said a few times in the past, though. Ducati, and Ducati has said this as well, I'm sure. Ducati is the team that doesn't need Marquez because look at the, the kind of embarrassment of rider riches it's got. Bagnaia, a fit Bastianini, hopefully again next year. Martin, Bezeki coming through. Was this just too tempting in the end? When when, Mar when there was a chance to get Marquez, you, was it a case of Ducati just going, we can't not do this? 
Well, I mean, the, this is first and foremost not like as it as it coming is it coming together right now. It's not necessarily their doing. It's True. a deal between Cristini and Mark, as far as I understand. But we, you know, given the suggestions that Ducati did try to do a deal, I think maybe even to sort of to cut off Mark just showing up in the Ducati camp through one of the satellite teams. Like let's just do it directly. Um, but it's I I'm sort of in two minds over that. Mind number one is. KTM's coming. KTM is coming. So whatever you feel is comfortable and enough right now may well not be in 2024. I think there's a real chance that 2024 will just be tougher because KTM is coming. But two is also, look, yeah, Ducati maybe didn't doesn't need this, but humorous, okay? <laughs> Can we have this one, please, Ducati? What have they already sealed the manufacturer's title? Or is that coming next round? It doesn't really matter because next round, I think. next round is coming next beat, round. But it, they needed to beat KTM by twenty points last weekend. Okay, yeah, but it's okay. It's coming next round. Like yeah. whatever happens, it's coming next round. The yeah. middle of the track could open up, and it's still one of the Ducatis will make it through that chasm. So it's coming next round. And uh, look, there's also there had had to have been. Well, I'm saying there had to have been. I don't think this has actually happened, but somebody at Dorna should have gone to Ducati and said, just let us have this one, man. Uh, just for for one year, whatever, let us let us have this one. We need it. It's good for us. And as a consequence, it's good for you. Uh, so, yeah, I think I think maybe I, I would imagine that Ducati president Claudio Domenicali understood this. I think a lot of people at Ducati will have understood this, even if they don't like the disruption this creates. So I don't know about too tempting, but it's like it's just it's just cool. Sometimes cool things are are worthwhile, worth having. Sometimes the coolest possible outcome is is the one that you really you need to make happen. I mean, there's no net loss here for Ducati. They don't have to do any work because they don't have to change how they function in any way. Grissini will get nothing special for next year. They're actually saving a little bit of money because they're probably not paying a Grissini salary that they maybe otherwise would have been. So they're saving a bit of cash. Um, they, yeah, the, it's, it's a win-win in that regards for them. It does that, potentially does that, that magical thing of, you know, sometimes you sign a writer not just to have him, but to deny him to someone else. And a successful Marquez next season on a Grissini bike will potentially deny him to KTM for the year after if if he's winning and and there's something there to prove. So you're denying your your arguably your biggest rival right now the chance to to sign him. And you know, as Val says, it's just good for the sport. It's good for Ducati. It's good for the championship. It's good for Mark Marquez. If Next year's season opener in Qatar is not the most watched MotoGP race of the last five or six years, then I'll eat my hat. Like, it will. This is going to put media attention at the start of the season next year through the roof at a time whenever MotoGP absolutely desperately needs it. Will there be some form of disruption? I'm sure. I'm 100% sure. I don't there. think there will. Well, here's, here's the scenario that I... like. Scenario number one is just... Mark is being so good that he unsettles the established Ducati riders. I'm not, I don't really see this one so much because I think Peko Bagnaia is game. I think Peko Bagnaia understands how the chance to prove himself against Mark Marquez in his house is 
it's a good one and it, it'll be it's one to cherish and it's one that will do even even if it doesn't work out even if he's beaten it, it's one that will do good to his legacy if he can re- like if he can really put up a proper fight it's better to have this fight than to have it play out in hypotheticals i think i'm almost certain the option where it could be a little bit disruptive is also i think like the ideal results option for ducati where mark is good but isn't dominant good and Maybe he's like the second or third best Ducati, because on the one hand, that would immediately make everybody go, oh, Peko Bagna is the man, and what what they've done these past few years is really is incredible. But it also, I think, with Mark on a year-old bike and all the, you know, sometimes all the technical chat that starts coming, it will there will be a bit of media pressure then coming from Marquez about the the equipment that he has. Not that it's deliberately throttled, but just, but yeah, like the works riders have this, I don't have this, et cetera, et cetera. I think that is entirely a a possible outcome that maybe Ducati is partly worried about because of, again, this Marquez gravitational pull and the fact every word that he will say will be heard. The the reason that I don't think it's going to be too disruptive is because 12 months ago, we were sitting here talking about Paco Bagnaia's title campaign potentially being derailed by a, a lunatic wild card Grissini satellite rider who was doing everything he could to smash him out of the way and take points off him. I mean, it's not a new situation for Ducati to find themselves in having a, a super fast Grissini rider doing his best to to disrupt the champion. You know, the champion elect as Bagnaia was this time last year. Um, and Bastianini did that job well. And uh, it's probably proof that Ducati aren't too upset that they give him a factory bike as a reward for it. The, you know, the, they're not someone who is very risk adverse to a bit of internal competition. This is and this is next. I'm going to I'm going to pile in. Sorry, this is next level though. This is not Bastianini is at that point a kid who wants a factory bike in the future. This is Mark Marquez who might decide he wants a factory bike in the future, or he might just like head off somewhere else, having taken a year of uh, Ducati, well, some of Ducati, some of Grassini sponsors cash, and disrupted everything, and then just disappears to KTM and starts beating them on a much-improved KTM. This has got so much more mischief potential about it than than anything Bastianini ever did. Well, there's some stories about what Bastianini did that make me think, there was quite a bit yeah, of mischief yeah, there, but too. then imagine but, Mar- Marquez doing those yeah, things, yeah, you know, the, yeah. the Rossi nemesis doing those yeah. things. That yeah, you see, it, first time Marquez bumps into a Bezecchi bike or Luca Marini bike and some kind of internal Ducati rivalry is like for sure got Rossi back in this too yeah for sure because it is like remember also how much of the Ducati camp is now the the Rossi camp 50% of the lineup is VR46 Academy which is and they are a tightly knit very obviously tightly knit bunch I mean there are some of them more than the others but all of them are you know all of them are close and so I think there's there's inevitable tension there but on I think there's going to be nervous moments coming for Mr. Chiabatti and Mr. Tardozzi for sure. There's going to be there's going to be headaches for sure. Not so much for Mr. Gigi Delinia, who's just going to be off in the background, giddy at whatever results come his way from from, from the bike that he made for all of these great riders. Uh, I think Peko is game, and I think because he's already champion, Peko Bagnaia will will look at this and whatever comes of it, there will be most of the time he'll be like, oh, "This is just really cool, isn't it?" This looks cool for everybody and it helps everybody. I think he is really that kind of character where it's enough of a net reputational positive that that for him will overwrite the 
the annoyance of it. And I think there's there's the, this real through line of annoyance about the perception of his of his MotoGP title last year of being in any way influenced by team orders and favoritism. He, like, he really doesn't like how some of that narrative formed, even though in the end there was nothing visibly team orderish about it ever. So, yeah, I think this this will be this will be useful for him, and I think he'll just he'll appreciate how cool it is. Again, I, I keep saying the word cool, but it's just it's cool. That's let's let's the most important thing to take away from all of this for any of you is is cool. It's really cool. I I, I agree. I think Peko is genuinely going to be up for it because he's already started stirring the pot a little bit, which is great. Yeah. You know, we, we saw, I asked the question in the press conference last week about Mark's future and he talked about the romantic podium and Peko, uh, you know, was jokingly like, bye-bye Honda immediately to stir that pot a little bit. And that clip has gone everywhere and everyone's seen it. But the, the there's some versions of it that have been cut out what happened next, which is that Peko quite quietly under his breath said, next you will be kissing Valentino to Mark. You know, he's aware that Marquez is coming into a VR46 dominated camp and he's going to stir the pot. And that's, you know, next year, the the winter test in the start of next year is going to be a lot of fun um, as journalists covering this championship and as fans watching it, because it, it has just kicked a bit of spark back into it. You know, it's 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 going to be entertainment to see how all this happens. And we, we needed it. Desperately. Like, we, we, it's, Desperately. I'm, I'm, yeah. Because, uh, like, you know, I'm not negative at all on the quality of the show that MotoGP puts out. I know, like, the racing concerns we discuss on a, on a you know, week-to-week basis, but ultimately, I do... I do very much like and engage in what I'm seeing. And it's, it's, it really it is not difficult to keep up the enthusiasm. And even this year, which we all expected to be a Peko Banyao walkover, has suddenly blossomed into an actual, you know, seat of your pants title fight, which I'm very grateful for. And we shouldn't diminish and we shouldn't, even with all of our giddiness of the, the Marcus prospects for 2024, we should keep in mind that we have this really good season finale potentially coming up. But we needed it, uh, and it's it's very important to bridge that sort of that alien era of MotoGP with this new era of MotoGP. I think in everybody's eyes for legitimacy, I think we were denied by Mark Marquez's injury a really interesting period of Mark Marquez taking on Fabio Quartararo over and over and over again, and potentially boosting uh, Quartararo's bona fides as the next alien. Uh, Quartararo was staying at Yamaha. If Marquez was staying at Honda, we'd go into another off-season where I suspect the outcome would be that maybe they'd be a bit better, but there would be no real reason to think that they're suddenly in title contention again. And now this suddenly puts Marquez into this championship picture, and I think it really, it really did need it, and it needed his legitimacy, and it needed his X factor, and his the surprise of it all. Uh, yeah, I'm really, I'm again, I'm I'm so excited, man! It's so cool. We've talked before about MotoGP's like failed efforts to replicate what other championships are doing to to get, make success and all this, but like Dorna need to be talking to people right now. Dorna, Grassini, Ducati, the Marquez camp, Red Bull, everyone involved. They need to go out. They need to find an amazing independent documentary filmmaker, and they need to <laughs> say, "You need to be at Valencia on the Tuesday after the final race." And you will be with Mark Marquez for one year. There is such a huge story here to tell. Um, you know, I've, I've said it in previous podcasts. I haven't said it today, but this is the biggest 
shakeup in MotoGP history in terms of a rider market. This is the single biggest move. This is bigger than Rossi to Yamaha. This is bigger than Lorenzo to Ducati. This is massive. And there is a golden opportunity here for, you know, to really use this to sell the sport and try and kick a bit of life back into a championship that's been struggling a little bit in terms of, of you know, sort of general, uh, general interest. What a story to tell. Independent is good. I think independent will be really, yeah. really hard to swing. I, it can't. It can't be Dorna. It can't be the Marquez camp. Yeah. It can't be like previous things. This has to be done by someone external. But please, God, make it. Uh, also, if, if like if, if they can't swing external, I just say just make the 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 people who Mark Marquez and Alex Marquez got to do the got to do the documentary. Have them do it again. It won't be quite what we want in terms of independence and. But at least we know those people will do a really good job and it'll be like, yeah. beautiful as all hell. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But I ideally independent. The problem is it would really help if Pekko Banyai was also sponsored by Red Bull, like Mark Marquez, because then that's how you do it. Unfortunately, <laughs> well, I say unfortunately, like, like, like I'm really invested in who energy drink company sponsored. But yeah, Pekko Banyai <laughs> is the monster camp. So there's probably, it's hard to do a synergetic thing between them through that. But it's clearly, so I look, Dorna knows all this. Dorna is going to be, Dorna is going to put cameras into places where they really don't belong. I think for for Valencia and for for everywhere, just because Dorna really will know how how important how seismic this is. Yeah, it's it. You talk about needing the camera there for the Valencia test. The good thing is there's an awful lot on camera from the last few years because I, I think this hour of podcasting has really crystallized for me even more how long this storyline has been brewing through Honda's decline, Marquez's rise, the the move of Rossi towards Ducati with all his young riders when you've got the, the Rossi-Marquez history. There's so much in this. And I've said a lot of times in this podcast this year, the alien era for racing was often absolutely rubbish. It wasn't like the kind of 2006 period. We had some very turgid races in the kind of Rossi, Stoner, Lorenzo Pedrosa, Quartet heyday, but it didn't particularly matter because the storylines were there. I think the racing will be a lot better than that this uh, next year, but it, it will matter even less if it is or isn't because the storylines are going to be there with what's happening. We're... It, it's wrong to say we're unfortunate that a lot of the the key protagonists in MotoGP right now are chilled out, intelligent people who don't get too wound up about things because that is actually also quite pleasant in a very toxic world. It's it's quite nice that Banyaya is very level headed and and that, that has been kind of the tone of this battle so far. But yeah, like you say, Banyaya is smart enough to know that some spice would be welcome as well. Uh, we've got a lot, lot more to say about this, as you would expect. We've made a video about it already. You you can find our YouTube channel. Uh, you'll find it full of F1 stuff mainly, but we'd like to start putting quite a lot more MotoGP out on there over the next little while as well. So if you can track down our Marquez video on there, give it a like, watch it to the end, subscribe, and keep coming back for more, that would be an excellent way to help persuade us to keep churning out MotoGP videos now as well, because we've got a lot of topics for them, quite frankly. Um, if you join the Race Members Club, you get a chance to chat chat with the, the writers of every story on the stories afterwards and debate their ideas and you can help us shape the content as well it's only a couple of quid a month there's a subscribe link on every story on the website and we're back with another extra podcast next week where we're answering your questions about mark marquez honda ducati there's like we say there's a lot more to say about this that we know is there's still to to get into so if you'd like to ask us anything about marquez's move whether it's relating to honda's fall or the prospects at, at ducati you can send us a voice note or a message 
message by email to podcast at the-race.com or tag us on what was formerly known as Twitter, We Are The Race on X, with your question. We'll be recording that on Monday, so you got till Monday morning next week to get your questions in. Thank you for your time listening to this one, and we cannot wait to see what it is that you're most interested in about the Marquez move and answer some questions about next week. The Athletic.